0: Three days ago, I woke to the news, as you did, that uh, Russia started its invasion of Ukraine. It reminded me of our final days in Lebanon 40 years ago, June 6, 1982. 50,000 troops invaded southern Lebanon by air, sea, and land, in Operation Peace for Galilee. For six weeks, our and our, my and our family, we lived in the siege of West Beirut. Those who had money fled Beirut. We stayed. As missionaries, we had not yet been given permission by God to leave our post. There was daily bombing by jet aircraft and shelling of the city from rockets and mortar fire. There was no internet. There were no cell phones in. For those six weeks, our families in the U.S. did not know whether we were alive or dead. After two weeks of shelling, Charlene and her two young children moved to a safer part of the city in East Beirut, staying with Christian friends. I volunteered my services at the local hospital as a young medical student, caring for casualties. Refugees and armed marauders roamed the streets. Nights were hardest. Sleeping was very difficult due to the constant shelling. Windows were kept open to minimize flying glass shards coming from outside explosions. It was the most frightening aspect of my life. I literally thought I could die at any time. In mid-July, my missionary supervisor got a message to me to leave West Beirut, said it's time to go. NEXT DAY, I LEFT BY TAXI THROUGH ONE OF THE STILL OPEN BORDER CHECKPOINTS. I TOOK A SUITCASE, A FEW BITS OF CLOTHES, AND OUR IMPORTANT DOCUMENTS. EVERYTHING ELSE WAS LEFT BEHIND. A FEW HOURS AFTER EXITING THE CHECKPOINT, ALL BORDERS WERE SEALED. NO MORE TRAVELS ALLOWED. I REJOINED MY FAMILY. A WEEK LATER, WE LEFT BEIRUT BY NIGHT ON A CARGO SHIP BOUND FOR CYPRUS AND ARRIVED EARLY NEXT MORNING, AND there WE WENT BACK HOME BY PLANE TO, to, to AMERICA. A FEW MONTHS LATER, our Lebanese Christian friends were able to get back into our apartment and distribute our remaining possessions to the poor in the name of Jesus. How did we get in that position? That was just 10 years. I mean, but that was 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Well, let's scroll back 10 years previously to when it all began. Let's set the stage for our missions experience. So that's 50 years ago. I'm a new believer in Christ. I first learned about Bible from mission and missions from the Bible. I thought, what an exciting and worthwhile thing to give my life to. The Cold War was going on. Unfortunately, it's back again. I had read about Brother Andrew and God's smuggler, and I wanted to be involved in something like that. The only restricted-access countries I knew about then were behind the Iron Curtain, in Russia, Eastern Europe, and China. By restricted-access countries, we mean those countries where the gospel is restricted in its ability to either be communicated or to go. Unfortunately, at, this, at the time, I was also suffering from a threatening Life, uh, heart, heart disease, I was told I might only live a few more years. I was 18 at the time. In the hospital awaiting open-heart surgery, I committed my life to Christ and wanted others to know how a Christian could die. Up to that point, I'd been a science geek. I loved playing chess in high school. I graduated the top of my high school class. I won first place in my division in world competition at the International Science and Engineering Fair. I also placed fifth nationally in the Westinghouse Science Talent Search. I also enjoyed baiting Christians. Most of them uh, didn't know squat about how to defend their faith, and I loved to make fun of them for believing in something for which I thought they had no evidence. With the approach of death, however, everything took on a new perspective. A high school friend shared with me from the Bible how Christ could change my life and give me eternal life, and at the time I was very afraid of dying. When I did commit my life to Christ, there the world suddenly changed. you know, from two-dimensional black and white to three-dimensional vivid color. But in the hospital, the doctors decided not to do surgery on me just yet. They wanted me to come back and recheck me in a year. I felt like a condemned criminal just uh, released from death row. I devoured the Bible and started a regular program of scriptural memory and Bible study. I wanted the whole world to know what I found in Jesus. My immediate family, however, did not share my joy. They wanted me to tone it down and not become a fanatic. And because of my perceived shortened lifespan, I was in a hurry. I knew I was only going to live a few more years, wanted to cram as much into it as possible. In the next six years, following high school, I strengthened my personal walk with God, completed a bachelor's degree as well as a Ph.D. in human physiology, and I got married. And that was in addition to starting medical school. After two years, or two children and a postdoctoral fellowship, I, finished a, I, I secured a research position behind the Iron Curtain in Warsaw and started Polish language study. But at that time, in my spiritual training, I was involved with a non-denominational Christian organization. And through that organization, my career path was interrupted. They wanted me to refocus on Islam in the Middle East. For the next year, I taught general biology for a year at a Christian college in California. It was there I first met Sohrab, a student from Iran, who learned more. We learned that was our first introduction to Islam. so Rob sat on the front, uh, I would taught general biology in 101, and he sat on the uh, front row of my, my class, and he was angry. He had just come out of the Iranian Revolution. His family, his, his father had worked for the Shah, and uh, so he had, had also spent time in the Shah's prison, you know, as well as studying to be a Marxist. Even after class, he would come and he'd want to argue about why Islam was right and why Christianity was wrong. And we didn't know much at that time, so I said, hey, have you eaten dinner? Why don't you come home? We... I mean, we didn't have much money then, you know, there in Point Loma. Uh, and uh, we had a lot of mac and cheese dinners, and he would, we lived a mile away. He'd walk home with us. and You know, so we just, uh, we'd, and then we'd read the Bible together. We'd study, and he'd ask questions, and I'd mostly smile and say, gee, I don't know, you know. But it was interesting that uh, we were only there in Point Loma for one year and then went overseas with that previous experience in Lebanon that I just told you about. When we came back, we found out he was a Christian now. And uh, Sodorab has actually uh, preached in this church. You know, he's currently a pastor in San Diego. He's led more uh, Muslims to Christ than I could ever hope to. question I have is, am I willing to play a longer-term role if called on by God, or do I only want the quick-strike, single-contact, minimal-involvement approach? I like easy things. Following my stint overseas, uh, you know, in Lebanon, I completed medical school and postgraduate medical education. I got two degrees, the M.D. and the Ph.D., and I continued on in advanced Arabic language study. But during that time, my heart disease got worse and I required getting two artificial heart valves. Uh, recently, I just thought I'd get on the internet and do a little search. I was curious to find out, of all the people in the world who've had uh, two heart valves replaced, how many are, you know, who's the longest survivor? And I uh, found out it was me. <laughs> 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 Question at this point in your own lives, to you out there, you know, I'm I'm looking at you, Will, and you, Alec, and you, Brennan. You know, what kind of preparation do you think you will need, professional, personal, spiritual, to help you reach out? You know, uh, I'm getting towards the end of my life, but to each of you, I'm I'm panning on the baton. Cheers. I'd like the rest of you to keep in mind that I never intended to become a professional full-time missionary. That was not my goal. It's always been my intention to be a fully self-supported missionary, like the Apostle Paul, who made tents for a living. But most of you, for the last gee, for the last forty years, I've had to pay bills. I've been a husband raising children, in addition to reaching out with the gospel to those who don't yet know Christ. Well, over the next year, those next years after you know coming back from Lebanon, uh, which included one year in Saudi Arabia, basically our entire time has been here in the United States. You know, we've been working, uh, reaching out to people with the hope of Christ. And uh, our major focus has been with, with, with Muslims. I met, where did I, where, did we, where did I meet Muslims? Well, throughout my work. I worked in student health. You know, that's been most, most of my career as a student health physician. Worked first in New Mexico and then most recently for 18 years at Purdue. I just retired seven years ago from Purdue. You know, I loved working there. So we met them through my work. You know, sometimes things would come up, and then I would say, "Hey, here's my business card. Give me a call, and we'll go out and you know have a have coffee or something." Also, met them through uh, Charlene, who has a lot of involvement with international uh, student uh, women women's groups. You know, uh, in the process, I also continue to teach. I've uh, written a few books. You can you can find them online with Amazon.com, and I also produced a series on discipleship from uh, on now officially. My uh, my Alec uh, says I'm now officially a YouTuber. You know, so you can find me if you if you look at the lessons in discipleship. Although I am now retired from the practice of medicine, I continue to relate to Muslims and engage in teaching. And so I'd like to talk now about a few lessons we've learned over the last 50 years. Keep in mind that I've been like you. Uh, first off, we're part of a chain of Christian witnesses, the importance of community, family, Christian witness, church. You know, almost we're not... By ourselves, we're not just a part of one, but you know, God leads us. You know, significantly, to be a part of a chain. You know, and which of those chains that I was involved in, including my very first part of the chain, was when I was in kindergarten at a Christian uh, daycare center, and Mrs. Black prayed for me. She told me later she prayed for all of her students, and she said, "Eddie, I knew that you had great potential for evil, as well as, <laughs> as well as great potential for good." You know, she'd you know prayed that it would be the latter rather than the former. Incidentally, I never won any awards for good conduct in in in, 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 in college, or school. You know, most teachers were glad you know to have graduated me and pushed me on to somebody else. One teacher, uh, one teacher, you know, that I, where I failed conduct. Uh, she, somebody asked her, why, why did you give him such a low grade? She says, I didn't have anything any lower I could give him. You know, so anyway, so. We're part of a chain of witnesses, so it's important. Are we willing to be a part of God's planned chain of witnesses for other people? Uh, second one is adequate preparation. Uh, a number of you have teased me over the years why I like to wear my red. Uh, I have a red uh, IU uh, shirt, you know, that I sometimes wear to, to church. I like it; it's it's fun. And uh, anyway, I've always liked Bobby Knight. You know, I know he's controversial, and I realize he would be the first to say he knows he has anger issues. You know, but he was also one of the. Probably one of the finest uh, U.S. or world basketball coaches there ever been. And he really believed in the fundamentals. And he, he said, everybody talked about the importance of how much do you want to win. And he says, you know, more important than the will to win is the important to prepare to win, prepare to the, the, the will to prepare to win. So, what's it going to take for you? For me, and, and usually it works out of natural things and your natural interests, you know, uh, so for all of you guys, things are going to come out and very, very naturally. So what does it uh, what does it mean for that? Whether it's theological preparation means more language study, uh, something just being natural. Third third major lesson: it's going to be involved. Missions involved, personal sacrifice. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be convenient. You know, just be careful of comfortable offerings we give unto the Lord. You know, David went up to the threshing floor of Aruna. You know, and we we see where um, Aruna wanted to give him this threshing floor, and he says, "Oh, my Lord, the King, whatever you want." David says, nay, but I will surely buy it from the a price. I will not offer unto the Lord that which does cost me nothing. You know, so be careful of these painless giving. Uh, fourth lesson we've learned over the years, there's going to be pushback. There are going to be people who don't agree with you. So how do you do? do we, uh, most people, when, you get, uh, when somebody says that they don't agree with what you believe, you know, what anybody, for us it's been mostly Muslims, but what about, uh, you know, how do you respond? Do we do the usual? I've, I've tried all three of these. Uh, first one is I've frowned tend to respond back negatively, and wounds winds up causing an argument, and they get turned off, we get turned off, and you know, and it doesn't go very places. Another one, just to be silent, just to kind of decide, okay, I'm going to grit and take it. I did that once uh, you know, with Muslims, and one, uh, one of our friends, after three months, is sharing these usually obnoxious things that are really, you know, are not true. Finally, after three months, I frustrated, I said, you know, all those things you've been saying about Christianity the Bible, you know, I don't agree with any of those things. He said, why didn't you tell me earlier? Then he quoted an Arabic proverb. He says, silence implies agreement. In other words, if I don't say anything, well, anyway, you know, you can get that. So what we've come up with is a third way to respond. It's what we call judo evangelism. You know, with, with judo, is an interesting uh, martial arts uh, self-defense program. You don't have to be a big person. You don't have to be a weightlifter, you know, or, you know, or, I mean, and that, that certainly is not me. I never have to worry about anything like that. But it's somebody who has, you, you use the energy of the person who's coming at you, and you redirect it. And we've learned that over the years that usually, if somebody's coming at you with some attack or you know or, or an accusation or something, you can usually turn it. For example, you know, uh, uh, most, many Muslims love to come up and say, you know, what do you think about the Quran? You know, and, uh, and and you know, a lot of people say, well, now, what do you think about the New Testament or what do you think about the Bible? Have you, you know, and then there's a big argument. What I've learned is say, wow, you know, I've learned a lot of things. I love the many beautiful things it says about my Lord Jesus, you know, and it does. You know, the Quran talks three times as often, mentions Jesus more than it does Muhammad. You know, and there's some, there, yes, there are there's some untrue things there about him, but there's some many true things too. So, due to evangelism, learning how to redirect whether it's questions, and it's a lot more fun to do things like that. Uh, another one, and this one's a little more uncomfortable to talk about. How are we doing on time? Yeah, I've got it. Okay. We're still here. Uh, opposition can also come from God. You know, and nobody likes to talk about this, but you know, sometimes we, as Christians, we make bad decisions—either personal ones, or government policies, or cultural blindness, materialism. You know, uh, we—we've made almost every decision, any bad decision, we pretty pretty much made them. You know, I mean, it's not a good idea, you know, to serve pork to your Muslim friends. You know, and you know, there are things when we get opposition. You know, so what are we going to do? What about? Uh, uh, you know, can opposition come from God? Absolutely. You know, there, God says that, you know, in Isaiah 42 says, I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to grieve images. There's very few things, but hey, guys, for us guys, but you know, it also bothers some women. What about pornography? You know, this is a terribly deadening thing. You remember why Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land? You know, that why Joshua took over. Said so it is because God says, you did not treat me as holy. You know, so that's, that's a real important thing. David mentioned earlier, wars, rumors of wars, you know, pestilence, famines, droughts, pandemics. I think some of the worldwide pandemic, you know, what we're beginning to see on our country and on the whole world is judgment. You know, and some of these things, some of these things are, are, are not from God, but some of them aren't from God. We need to be listening. What can we do as people? So if I was going to kind of wrap all these things up together and kind of a summary of some of these lessons, I would say, first off, just show up. You know, God doesn't need anybody to be perfect. You know, in fact, I don't think I've ever had a perfect encounter with anybody who who didn't believe like I did. But he does need us to show up. Just being willing to be there. Now, showing up, listening. God gave us, A Lebanese told me once, God gave us, you know, two eyes, two ears, one mouth. We should learn how to use them accordingly. We need to ask questions. That's one of the most fun ways. Remember Doug Pollock who came to visit church here? He has in his back of his book, you know, in the God space, 99 different questions, 33 topics, three on each topic. You know, those 33 topics, a total of 99. It's really fun to, have a, to pick a few questions, steal them, modify them for your own use, and then ask them. You know, I am always, always, always love to ask people. You know, if you're not sure what to ask, tell them, hey, what's your journey in life? And they said, well, I'm not religious, you know. And I said, that's okay. You know, even atheists, you know, they, I was an atheist once, you know, they all have a journey, something that got. how did you get there? You know, but there's all sorts of questions you can ask that are really, really fun. So one of the final things I like to tell people, you know, is that you invite the Bible, people just to read the Bible with you. If the Bible is powerful. You know, it's the word of God. I mean, it's Hebrews 4.12. You know, it's like, a, you know, it's a, it's a sharp sword dividing soul and spirit and joints and marrow able to discern the hearts and intents of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I want to be cautious. Again, one of the big things on this, I've already mentioned this before, you know, and actually this final one here missions is God's work, it's not ours. He lovingly asks us to prepare to be a part of what he's doing, you know, but it's his work, it's not ours. But are there things we can do to kind of circumvent that? Absolutely. What did Moses do? He didn't treat God as holy. We can do the same thing. It's one of the big warnings I would give us, you know, as Christians be careful of treating God as unholy. You know, there was a, there was one uh, one situation so I was involved in counseling, and I, I made a, I made a bad choice of words, and I, I kind of reflected this counseling situation, which was really serving God, and it was to a, to an unmentionable physical examination. All of us docs, there's a few docs out in the, in the audience I know right now. We have certain things we don't like to do, and usually we like to write on. Well, I remember what a lot of people would put on the physical exam form. You know, they would put deferred. And that looks nice, looks important, looks like what most people usually mean by that is we ain't going to do it, you know. But anyway, be real careful. Uh, I treated uh, God as unholy and that one thing. And uh, this was about 20 years ago, you know, with a situation. And, you know, I I had a a dream that night. And the dream, I thought originally, I thought the dream was satanic, you know, demonic. And there was a big fish chasing me, you know, all around this this tank. And it was going to gobble me up. It was really big, you know. And um, I woke up and, you know, and... I really felt like I my ministry was over. 20 years ago, I had treated God as unholy, and I like Moses, I was done. Then walking to work, I was dejected. And walking to work, it almost like I could audibly hear God say, "Well, Ed, you've been warned." You know, I've, no, I've never heard of God actually speaking to me like that. You know, I don't, I don't need some antipsychotic medicine or something. But, but the point is, I, I really sense that you've been warned, and I warned. That sounds encouraging. Warned sounds like there's a second chance coming. It sounds like maybe there's a chance that it's not done, you know, and uh, repented and then moved ahead. And But I would just encourage people, really be careful of treating God as unholy. Uh, the final big thing in summing all these things up, you know, the end results are in Revelations 4, 9 and 10. He says, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you know, are going to bow to the knee of Jesus. You know, that's that's delightful. You know, we, 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 we've made it. You know, uh a few uh, questions for a personal reflection. This is how God, how we're doing on time. We're still, okay, good. We're okay, About got a few minutes. <laughs> this is how God led us, me and Charlene, over the last 50 years. And we've had a lot of fun. You know, we've had a lot of interesting experiences, you know, all the way from being, I mean, I've, anyway, I won't go into all those. But this is how God has led us. You know, we never wanted to be professional missionaries. We always wanted to be self-supporting. For forty years, I've been, I, or fifty years, I've I bills, you know, and uh, still pay bills, you know, and uh, have to have a job for a living, you know. But how might he want to lead you? Uh, Covenant has some fantastic things people can be involved in right now, in missions or missions committee, short-term missions like you know with Alan Bartell was talking about with uh, Mexico or Jamaica. Uh, You know, Afghan refugee teams. You know, Covenant is helping to resettle two Afghani families, you know, who came out of refugee status. What a wonderful opportunity to be involved. You know, what they really need is people just to show up. You know, international friendship programs. Beth Tucker, folks like that. World Welcome, you know, others. Uh, Second, are there any aspects in in your own character that limit God's ability to use you right now, like pornography or materialism? You know, what about sharp tongue, you know? Uh, you know, I had a real sharp tongue many years ago, a very quick mind, but, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, the Spirit of God, you, know, you, you can't get away with things like that. You know, you, you have to deal with some of these things. What are you, what are you going to do to deal with? And third, what areas of personal sacrifice might the Lord want you to take to better prepare for participation in His kingdom work? Another question, are you just dabbling in your involvement with God's Word and prayer? God is not going to bless, and God doesn't use people. You, uh, you, know, don't. you know, it's interesting. Second uh, Timothy, wonderful passage, Second Timothy chapter 2. You know, it says in a large house, you know, you've got, you got vessels to honor, vessels of gold, you know. And, and then it says you also have vessels for dishonor. It says things like clay and p- clay pots and jars. You know, it says, it says if any man cleanses himself from these, and, and Paul is referring back earlier to unholy activities in, your, in people's lives, things that don't honor God, it says if you have if you allow those things in your life, it says God's not going to use you. It's like you're tired. You come in after working hard, and Andy's you know changing things outside. And he's really thirsty, and he opens a cupboard, and there's only two jars up there. One is a beautiful you know goblet, you know, uh, and the the other one uh, you know is a, is a is a is a peanut butter jar. Well, the goblet you know has a cockroach down in the middle of it, you know, and the other one is absolutely clean. Which one's he going to pick to get some water from? It's pretty obvious. Well, you know what? God's the same way. God is not going to use a dirty vessel. So, um, fifth, what sort of personal preparation? Those of you who were in my position 50 years ago, some of you younger folks here, you know, Will, you know, Alec, Brandon, what, what, what do you need to do now to be preparing for God to God to use you? You know, uh, what what can you do? And there there are specific things you can do. Good job. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, I'd like to end here. You know, with a part of a poem. The, by a favorite uh, missionary of mine who's been gone a long time, he's in the 1800s, C.T. Stud, It's called Only one, Only one Life. It says, Only one life to will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know, with, I've, I've had a lot of worldly accomplishments, but you know what? Those don't mean deadly squat. You know, if, I'm, if they're not given to God and, and, if, and if not things for eternity with God, they're not important. I didn't say they're not important, but you know, the important things are what's done for Christ that will last. One prayer I prayed for myself back then and you might and I pray and you might consider praying for yourself. Dear God, please take us ordinary Christians and make our lives extraordinary for the sake of Jesus.